today we'll be sharing from Psalm 73. And I think for me, this is one of the Psalms that I go to quite often. It's a Psalm that's very honest as this person who's following God goes through a struggle of faith and is able to go through it, coming out on this side with greater confidence in God. And so how does he start? In verse one, he says, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. And I think this is a statement of the Psalmist of what he believes to be true intellectually. And yet, as you read a little further, you realize that there's doubt there. That yes, it's true that God is good to Israel, but at the same time, my feet had almost slipped. My steps nearly slipped because when I look around, I was envious of the arrogant. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. That inside, this is what he feels as he sees the people around him. And so let's unpack this a little bit. What is he feeling? Well, first of all, he looks around at those who are arrogant or wicked. These are people who do not follow God. And these are the descriptions of what their life is like. They have no pangs until death. They see no worries, no concerns. Their bodies are fat and sleek. Nowadays, you're like, whoa, that doesn't sound good. But back then, to be fat was to mean that you have means, that you're able to do whatever you want. You have enough riches. To, nowadays, it would be someone who's toned, muscular, handsome. That's the kind of picture of someone that he's describing. These people are not in trouble or stricken. They're comfortable. They have a settled life. And they have so much that they don't even know what to do with it. And that's the kind of life that he sees that they're living. And for him, it's not just the fact that they're doing well, but that they are also blatantly opposed to God. It describes them as having pride and violence. They scoff at God. They say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Yeah, he might be there, but who cares? Speak out against God. Their tongue, quote, struts, living it so that they know what's up. And they even in verse 10, turn God's people back to their ways. And this is a picture that he sees around him. And as he's looking at that picture, he's thinking this, right? The dilemma is this. If they are like this, if they are opposed to God, then their life should go poorly, right? And yet when he looks at them, it's not how it's supposed to be. If you do good to those who trust you, why are those who do not follow you, even opposed to living this kind of life, why do they live a life like that? And this is his struggle as he shouts to God. He says, look at the wicked, God. They're always at ease and they're increasing in their riches. So why? Uh, just a little bit of a side here. Is it true that they are always at ease? Are they always increasing in riches? Well, I think it's hard to say that when we look at people, what we see on the outside might not always be what's going on inside. We know those who are going after riches, there is a sense of emptiness that they perhaps feel. Or maybe when we're feeling bitter, you look at people and you kind of skew yourself towards seeing that one area that you want. But at the same time, it is probably more or less true that people who don't focus on God, who just focus on themselves, they will advance. They will gain riches. They will seem like they're living a life that is doing quite well. And then for the psalmist, what's his life? He looks at his life and this is his claim. He says, man, God, in vain have I kept my heart clean. I've been making sacrifices. I've been struggling with myself. I've been trying to serve, foregoing opportunities, and yet look at my life. You know, it's hard. Things aren't always going well. Sometimes I feel stricken, even rebuked or corrected over the ways that I am, the ways that I fall short. And you can sense this psalmist looking longingly at the wicked, wondering, why don't I just live like they? In vain have I kept my heart pure. And so what does he do with that feeling? What does he do with the dilemma that he's sensing inside? Um, he doesn't speak it just outright because he knows he's connected to people. But at the same time in verse 16, when he tries to deal with it on his own, he says, when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. 
I can't. Like, this is what I'm feeling. I can't get my way out of it. It's as if he's in a pit and trying to rescue himself from a pit. You can't. And so what does he do? It says he went into the sanctuary of God in verse 17. And then a light bulb turns on. He discerns their end. He sees that indeed the destiny of the wicked is that they all face judgment. They all face ruin. All the things that they're going after now, they're not going to last. And in fact, they will do nothing in the face of death. It's only those who follow after God who actually live eternally, who live in a way that they were created. And he comes to this amazing realization that turns right here in 17. And so how does it turn? Again, sanctuary of God. What does that look like? So people say the sanctuary of God is the presence of God. Another way to interpret it is the temple of God. So the sanctuary of God for us could be a word of God, could be prayer, where we're coming to the presence of God, allowing his word to tell us how we ought to be, how we ought to see life. But here's the thing, sometimes when we're so full of emotions, it's hard to hear those things. And that's why going into the temple, a place where other people are, where people are worshiping, serving God, speaking truth about God to us, that can reason with us, that's why that's so important. And it's then that we are able to talk about what's going on and hear and see the presence of God. I thought about how after he becomes aware, he discerns their end in verse 17. Um, he recognizes, man, he repents. You know he repents because in verse 22, he says, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. And then in verse 25, he says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I, that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You know, you can't have heaven as your reward if you desire your rewards on earth. It's similar to what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 1. Be, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Jesus said that if you desire rewards from earth, whether it's material rewards, people's approval, you won't receive a reward in heaven. You will get what you want, which will be those earthly rewards, but it won't be the eternal rewards of experiencing God as the strength of my heart and my portion forever, like verse 26 here says. So living for heaven means sometimes in this life we will experience what this psalm expresses so well. The feelings of envy, frustration, the trying to live a holy life, bring a life pleasing to God will sometimes feel like you're getting the short end of the stick. Also, I thought about in verse 26, what, how else could you finish this sentence? The, my flesh and my heart may fail, but blank is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. What else in this world can you use to fill in that blank? Only God can fill that void in our heart and nothing else can finish this sentence because what else is going to last forever? What else is secure enough, strong enough to be the strength of my heart and my portion forever? Really, there is nothing else. And that's why this is considered a wisdom psalm. In Psalm 73, there are different kinds of psalms and this is a wisdom psalm because this is true wisdom. It is some kind of revelation from God to really understand, not just with your head, but in your heart, that there is nothing else that can be the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So 
How did this come about in Psalm 73? I think one thing we can learn is we can be honest. I really like the question from the DT. It says, this psalm is a candid admission of envy and frustration as he tries to live a holy life. Living a life of obedience is hard, and God doesn't begrudge our complaints, envies, and frustrations. He invites us to honestly dialogue with him. The psalmist models this for us as part of the process to him, returning to worship. And I'm personally so thankful for how this psalm honestly tells it like it is, the envies, resentment, bitterness towards God, for how he doesn't feel like what he's doing for God is bearing any fruit. But because the psalmist confesses this before God and really struggles to understand this in verses 16 to 17, we see how he's able to arrive at a place of worship, really thankful that he is near God. Because in verse 28, he says, But for me it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. So for all of us here, I wanted to encourage us, don't feel like you have to keep up an image of, I'm okay to be a good Christian. If you have doubts or if you don't like something about your life, then you can pray to God, talk to godly people, and try to understand and discern the wisdom of what Psalm 73 is saying here. All right, that's it for today. Talk to you guys later. Bye.